let's go, if you can, please, to Proverbs chapter 30. So what's 2024 going to be like? Well, I can let you know I've got it on good authority. There's going to be uh, wars, strife, violence, famine, all sorts of things to make people afraid about the times that they're living in. That's what 2024 is going to be like. A lot of those things are still remote, a lot of things are still actually a little bit remote to us. In this country, we live in a pretty good place. But there are so many things afoot that are trying to ruin the world that we live in as well. Let's just have a look at just a couple of little scriptures here about the generation. Now, we can say the generation that we live in, but this type of generation has actually always existed because it's actually one of rebellion and it's one of uh, opposition to the good things of God. It's where people oppose any blessing that they might actually get in their life. Let's have a little read of these things. Proverbs chapter 30, just from verse uh, 11, we'll start here. It says, There is a generation that curses their father and does not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes, and yet they're not washed from their filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. So we go through here and we find a number of uh, aspects, a number of categories. We find a generation that talks about where there's no respect. We find a generation that is not humble. Rather, they're actually arrogant and they add violence to this world. Now, sometimes people have a look and they sort of turn around and they say, yes, we see all of those young people around, don't we? It's not just the young people. The older, older people of this world also, when you try to tell them about the good things of God, they also roll their eyes at you. There's been generation after generation that have been taught to not seek God. Now, a number of us were like that. A number of us may still be a little bit like that. Oh, we've got a few things to correct. Actually, I just want to recount, I, was, I would have fitted into a lot of those categories when I was younger. I can actually remember back into 1972, it was. I was in year nine at school. And in our school, it was the last year that they had religious instruction in the school. Now, they took a big chance at those times. They used to bring people in, volunteers, nice people, well, they were nice people for a time until they met some of us. <laughs> and they would come along and on a Tuesday morning, they'd divide us all up according to whatever sort of denomination we were. So uh, we were nominally Church of England, though we weren't churchgoers and so on. <clears throat> and we went along and we'd have to go into the classroom, the Church of England there, the Catholics in there and so on. And this, um, I guess she was a really nice lady. She came in. And she tried to sort of give us some sort of notion about the things of God. Did she get a fair time? No. 
She went through that year and it was hard for her. We weren't interested in what she had to say. Part of the problem was she didn't really have all that much to say. It was only about being nice and all those sorts of things. But I do remember the very last lesson of the year. And we got through to that point there and she picked up her handbag and she went over close to the door and put her bag on the desk and she said, well, boys, and it was all boys in the group, we've come to the end of the year and it hasn't always been easy. And I sort of felt this little pang of, oh, goodness me, we, we didn't make it easy for her, did we? She was probably a pretty nice little lady. Hasn't really been easy. And I've just got, you know, one thing I'd like to leave with you. And I thought, oh, it's the end of the year. There's going to be like a Christmassy sort of thing and sort of, you know, goodwill to all men and all that sort of thing. So she said, what I'd really like to say to you boys, and we actually stopped and we all listened because we thought it was going to be really, really important. And she said, you're the most horrible group of people I've ever met in my life and I hope I'll never see you again. I picked up her bag and walked out. That was the end of my religious instruction. (laughs) (laughs) A part of the reason for all of that is that I actually fit into a number of these categories that we just read there. There wasn't respect for other people. There wasn't humility, there was the arrogance and, uh, and given a chance there was violence as well. And the world's been overtaken by all of those things. Now, we can have a look and we can try to blame uh, the parents for all of that. They haven't uh, trained their children correctly. I'm a school teacher. We default to blaming the parents. The parents default to blaming the school teachers. And they say, oh, why don't they actually teach them this at school? Why don't they train them in all of these things? You know, way back, uh, Acts uh, Acts, Acts chapter 2, you know, we sometimes think... Actually, when I came along uh, to the Lord in 1980 and there were so many things happening in the world and the world was getting worse and worse all the time and, and people were saying, oh, the Lord has to return. Oh, it can't get much worse than this. <laughs> 1980 was righteous by comparison. <laughs> I know it wasn't really deep down, but since that time, so many more things have been permitted and a whole heap of it is, we know, there's, no, there's not the knowledge of God in the land. There's not a commitment to something that's higher than people themselves. The parents who haven't been brought up to know about the things of God because their parents didn't know about it, they haven't taught their children and a whole heap of the good principles of life just haven't been taught at all. And so we find all these difficult things But it's not just for this generation. It's not just this one. We can read about it way back here. We know in Acts chapter 2 where people were talked to about how they might be saved. And of course we can read in verse 38 when Peter said, Repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises you and your children, all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And it says, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves.
from this untoward generation. So he made the observation, these people are out of step with God. And we've actually been able to say that through every generation since. We've been able to use the same Scriptures that we still do today. You need to save yourself from this untoward generation. There's particular features to do with the society that we're in at the moment, the things that have grown over the last couple of decades in particular, that in our growing up, we're horrified by. We're horrified by some of the things we see that are being brought into our schools. The confusions to do with who people are and all the defiance against the things of God. We're horrified by those things. And people sort of say, it's just like Sodom and Gomorrah in this world that we're in. I don't believe we're quite there yet. I think Sodom and Gomorrah was at such a point where the Lord turned around and said, I'd even save it if there were about five. But there weren't. They were licensed in their rebellion. And that's what we find is actually happening in the world that we're in. We're going to see some more of that in 2024, aren't we? And we're going to see all sorts of things that are going to be happening. So we go out and we say to people, well, it's this generation that we're living in and you're going to have to save yourself from it and we know how that might be the case. But how much confusion is there out there? You know, we're talking about generations and sometimes we talk about, uh, of course, how people are being brought up. And we actually find all sorts of, I guess, parenting styles that have sort of crept in around the place that actually don't help anybody at all. Actually, there are sort of some various categories that people identify these days. We just sort of, you know, look at a couple of them. Parenting styles. Oh, now, when I go through these, don't turn around and give some sort of side look at the person along your road. And ch- don't, don't do that, okay? We're not after that. So one of them is gentle parenting. Now, the gentle parents, they just want to have a good parent-child bond and the parent is seen more of a, a collaborator instead of a, any sort of figure of authority and they want to work in with the children They might be able to help the kids with their social skills and self-esteem. That's what they're all after. But it's a lot of work. They're trying to empathise with their children. But what they find is it's really, really hard work to empathise from sunup to sundown. And you fail along the way. There's permissive parenting. And that's where people just don't enforce any rules in their child's life. They want to be their children's friend. Blah. (laughs) That one actually doesn't work. You end up with kids with really poor social and emotional, there's consequences for all of that. The parents ignore the bad behaviour and give in every time their child gets upset. You know, the sad part of all of that, you know, those children end up with no friends because they won't get invited to anybody else's homes. Actually, there was a little story I heard at one time about somebody who was bringing their child up that way. And somebody was observing, they were standing in the supermarket and there was this older lady there and she was at the checkout 
And just behind her, there was this child. It was a little girl. And she had the trolley. And she came along and she just pushed it, and quite deliberately, into the back of the lady's leg. And they oh, that's not very good. And then the child did it again. And the lady turned around and said, oh, would you not do that? that? That hurts. And the child did it again. And the older lady turned around to the mother, can you ask your child not to do that? That really hurts. And the mother turned around and said, no, I won't do that because I'm actually bringing my child up that they might just express themselves. <laughs> now, off to the side, there was a young man who was a teenager and he was standing there and there's two litre bottles of Coke and that sort of thing. And he was watching this and he just thought, that's just wrong. So he got a bottle of the Coke and took the lid off and went and stood over and poured it over the child. <laughs> and the mother's there sort of jumping around, stop, what are you doing? Stop doing that. Can you stop doing that? My mother brought me up to express myself. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to get away with that? That'd be really, really good. The others who just want to be a child's friend, or actually not, not really a good friend, but uh, similar to the, the outcomes for the permissive one, the neglectful one, they actually put no structure in, there's no rules, and the child just ends up with pain and lowliness. We're well, not going deeply into all of these things. There is the authoritarian parent. They are the ones, it's my way or the highway. And they think that their whole idea is to bend the will of the child, no matter what the child is doing. So obedience to the parent, that's the whole thing. But there's not much nurturing in any of those types of things. And those, those kids... They end up depressed and with lower self-esteem than others and they're actually likely to become bullies themselves. There's a few other little categories before I talk about one other one that's a sort of have, have gone in. There's <laughs> free-range parenting. <laughs> free-range parenting. And that actually, they, they encourage independence. Go for a walk out there. Eat what you can find, you know, whatever else you're able to do. They end up, those kids end up being unsupervised and without a whole heap of uh, direction. There's tomato steak parenting. I first heard about that one up in Darwin. And that's where they think the kids can't stand by themselves and they're only going to be able to stand up if, if they're tied to you, you're the tomato steak. And that doesn't work either. The kids don't actually learn how to face up to anything. You might have heard of helicopter parenting. And that's where the parents are forever hovering over the top and the kid can never actually make a decision for themselves. Boy, do we see a lot of helicopters at schools. There's a whole heap who come in there. And some have actually brought it up to a whole new level. They actually now talk about the jet-powered turbo attack model helicopter parents. And they come into the schools and they want everything their way and they want to take every obstacle out of the kids' experience. <coughs> what do the kids learn out of that? They don't learn to problem solve. They can't make any decisions. They're less resilient. They're not confident. And they just end up anxious. 
they're always worried, I'm going to make a mistake. Whatever I do, I'm going to be wrong. And the parent's going to try to correct me. There is the other one. It sounds a little bit like authoritarian, but it's not. That's authoritative parenting. And I believe that's the one that the Scriptures advocate for us. It is where we set high standards, but we put in the structures so that the standards might be achieved. We say that this is the way, so that means there's got to be some, some, some discipline, but it can be positive discipline instead of just a strict my way. The kids who get standards but also are nurtured towards that, they're the ones that have a really good outcome. The kids know what's required of them and they feel confident that they can actually achieve. They get it, you know, so things aren't put out of their level. They're more likely to end up with positive relationships to do well and become independent and self-sufficient, all the things that we would be hoping for. Ephesians chapter 6. We do have to keep an eye on the time. <laughs> the stats will be taken over here. Yeah, we're in a pretty undisciplined world in a lot of ways. Of course, when many of us went to school, if we went and got into trouble at school, would we go home and tell our parents we did? No. That would be far worse thing that would happen. I mean, these days it's actually really easy to do a phone call home. When I was younger, just for a while, there wasn't a phone or anything else like there. And uh, yeah, we got up into all sorts of mischief. You know, there's all sorts of things that did happen. Now, if a child gets into trouble, they go and excuse themselves and they go and hide in the toilets and they make a phone call and they cry to their mum. And then next minute, you're whoop, 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 the helicopter there. <laughs> In they come. Oh, we know what's going to happen then. And you try, anyway, you try to explain all that. Now, we don't want to be like that sort of thing. In Ephesians chapter uh, 6, some really good guidance here. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. It says, honour your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee. There's some good advice there. And <laughs> you may live long on the earth. I think my mother understood that sort of principle, whether I was going to live long or not. <laughs> if you keep doing that, I will knock you into the middle of next week. <laughs> she was into time travel. <laughs> she, she understood those things. It says, And your fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This is where people sort of get, these are the standards and I'll help you to achieve them. I'll help you to achieve them because I'll explain them to you. I'll make you to understand those things. When it talks about the words nurture, that's just not sort of giving a pat on the back and all that sort of thing. It's education and it's training. There's times where you have to stop and you've got to teach. There is discipline that goes along with that as is needed. And correction. When it talks about uh, admonition, it is actually um, uh, to do with actually explaining things. It's actually when you look up uh, and, and you check the concordance, it's from a basis actually to get into and deal with the, the intellect. 
and to deal with, with a person's mind and their thoughts and their understanding so that they can understand the whys and the wherefores and they can be brought to maturity. They end up understanding enough that as they get older, they can teach someone else. When we start off with our little children, we bring them in with nurture and admonition. That's actually how we begin to save our children. We let them know there are some things that are higher than just your will. In fact, we let them know there's things that are higher than just my will. And we want to encourage them. We want to, we want to correct, but we want to help them overcome the obstacles as well and teach them how to do that. If we go from that base, we give them a chance to establish a good position in the Lord. You know, there's a couple of other scriptures that are there about, you know, train up a child in the way they should go and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. That implies they've been taught well, doesn't it? That implies that it's very, very good. We're told in Proverbs 29, well, correct your son and he'll give you rest and he'll be a delight to your soul. And that's where we find, when you see some kids around that have been brought up well, it's a delight. It really is. We're told in Proverbs 29 as well about the rod and reprove, give wisdom. So sometimes, yes, there's direction, there's need. We're not talking about just a big beating all the time. Oh, the answer is just sort of bring out the rod. There's actually the, the teaching that goes with that. And it says, but a child left to himself. It's like if you've got like a permissive type parenting and that type of thing. A child left to himself but brings a mother to shame. That's a terrible situation to be in. We're told to chasten our son while there's hope. And daughters, of course. It says, and let not your soul spare for their crying. You know, some people give up as soon as there's a couple of little tears. Well, we've got to be able to work past that. So we don't, the gentle parenting is not enough. We've got to have things more purposeful than that. We're told in Deuteronomy to teach diligently your children. Talk about the Lord in our house, when we're walking, in the evening, in the morning. The Lord's part of our life. The, port, the Lord is part of our household. If anybody else comes into our household, it is obvious that way. Actually, I, I, will, I will read out a little story. You know, people have actually stopped disciplining, doing a lot of the disciplining that is actually needed. And we see it around the place. And, oh, boy, it grieves us a little bit. In a number of schools, they actually find it more difficult because of, you know, there's attack helicopters everywhere and that sort of thing. It's actually more and more difficult to deal with some of the kids. It used to be, particularly my earlier days of teaching, that if the child misbehaved, there were impositions. Some kids actually don't even know the word imposition anymore. Now, sometimes if they did the wrong thing, we sit down and make them write things out. I must not talk when the teacher is talking. 1,500 times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, so some people got some practice. Now, yeah, we can sort of set yard duties. We can do all sorts of things. Well, sometimes I get a little bit bored with some of those things and I wanted to do more. And so there was one day, 
I actually did this on a few occasions. There was one day I was in there and I looked around. I was in this maths class and down behind the, the seat, down behind the table, there was a guy there munching his sandwich. <laughs> you weren't supposed to be eating in the classroom. Ben, bring yourself out here. Oh, there's a Ben. <laughs> it turned out they're all the same, aren't they? <laughs> He wasn't supposed to. I said, Ben, you go and sit down there. It was just about recess time. And you're going to write me a story. Not just write out lines, meaningless. You're going to write me a story before you go to recess to show that you understand what you've done wrong. So he sat down and he wrote it. I will read it to you. (laughs) I've kept it. I've kept this one. It starts off. This is a true story. (laughs) A long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, there was a small, insignificant applied maths class. There were about 25 people in this class, all of whom were total dropouts and losers, except for one kid called Ben. (laughs) Ben was the teacher's favourite student and always did his homework and never got lower than 97% for all of his tests and assignments. Mr Sharma, the teacher, he would have put Ben up into the top maths class But the simple truth was that Ben was Mr. Sharma's only source of joy in his job. (laughs) He spent the whole day yelling at people and repeating things over and over. But he knew there was one student he could look forward to teaching. Then one day, disaster struck and Ben committed a sin. (laughs) The previous weekend, in fact, from the previous Thursday to the following Tuesday, he had approximately 11 hours sleep. So he slept in on Tuesday in the morning till 20 past eight. As soon as he woke up and realised the time, he ran out of his room, had a very quick, a very cold shower, ran back into his room, threw on his clothes, grabbed his bag and ran. So by the time maths lesson started, he was nearly dead from starvation and fatigue. (laughs) Ben decided that seeing he's normally such a good boy, he might push it just this tiny bit, just this once. So he borrowed half a sandwich from his friend, Sean, who was also eating. Although Ben felt very guilty about the horrible crime he was committing, he decided it was neither an A or starvation, so he made the final decision. Because of Murphy's law, he was caught. (laughs) First time ever in his whole life and he got caught. The teacher was outraged. He started screaming and cracked the mental all over the place. (laughs) And Mr Sharma sent Ben, who was quaking in fear, to a corner of the room where he was instructed to produce a story by the end of recess or death would prevail. (laughs) You see, I think there should be more impositions myself, and I think that actually would help people really quite a lot. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. We've got to finish off, I know. In 1 Peter chapter 2, oh, when when it talked about, uh, in Proverbs, about the generation, it was talking about, like, just a a, a cycle of time. It was talking about sort of like groups that would arise just at, at various times. The word generation is used here, but it's got a slightly different little meaning. And it's to do with us because actually now, well, we're still being, but we are more, we're disciplined in the things of God. We believe for the things that are right, the things that are holy, the things whereby God would be served correctly. 
We believe for all those things. And we're told, and it's a wonderful promise here, in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 9, it says, but you are a chosen generation. All those other attributes I read before, they don't come in here. You are a chosen generation. The chosen one, it means actually a select one, a favourite one, is what it actually means. A favourite generation. And that generation is not just a group. The root word is you are kin, you are kindred. We're related to God. You're a chosen, you're, a fa- you're, you're my favourite relatives. A royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. We started off reading about all of those <coughs> where there was the no respect, uh, not humble, arrogant and violence this generation who we are, we show forth the praises of God. It's a different thing altogether. And for a whole heap of people, that will be enough to attract people to come and be saved. Amen. Amen. 